Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good evening, everybody. I left my stand on the wrong side of the platform, which was an error, but we've got there now. Shall we pray? God, I pray that as we listen to your word, as we learn more about what it is to serve, that you would be with us by your spirit. Would you be encouraging us and challenging us and teaching us more and more what it is to live and serve as you would have us do? Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Richard. I'm the curate down the road at Holy Trinity Lane, and it is an absolute pleasure to be able to speak to you for a little bit about the idea of service this evening. Now, I have to say, straight away, I feel a little bit like a fraud, because having listened through that passage, there's so much good stuff in it, and it would need a, a series all on its own to kind of mine everything good that's in it and get it out. So I would really encourage you, as Eve did last week, to um, get stuck into uh, this Bible passage in your own time, maybe over the week, and dig out all the stuff um, that's in there that I haven't been able to dig out for you this evening. And so we're carrying on in our series on rhythms, as you can see on the screen. And the whole idea is that we're looking at rhythms, practices, habits, routines, whatever language you want to use. But we're looking at things that we can do regularly and repeatedly and often. And as we do them, they are the kind of things that shape us more and more into the kind of person that Jesus would have us be. And they teach us to live more and more in the kind of way that Jesus would have us live. So last week, scripture, this week, service. And so I would encourage you, in the light of scripture last week, have the scripture in front of you. I can see a few of you have got your physical Bibles in front of you. That's great. I I do have a bit of a bias towards the, the, the physical book rather than the screen, but whatever works for you. But I would encourage you to have either physical Bible or screen in front of you. Um, If you can't do either, it will appear on the screen as well. And so essentially when we're talking about service, to kind of define my terms a little bit, what I'm talking about this evening is the things we do that benefit others, even if they don't necessarily benefit us. So I'm talking about the things we do that benefit others, even if they don't necessarily benefit us. Now, I wasn't... You know, I try to keep up with the news as best as I can. I wasn't looking for stuff in the news this week to use in my talk this evening in relation to service. It just kind of turned up. So if you find the news dull, I'm sorry, but for the next few minutes, I'm going to tell you a couple of things that I found in the news because I think it tells us something interesting about how our culture understands service. So the first one was an article that was talking about something called NP. T's or non-promotable tasks. And this article, the gist of it was basically encouraging people in your workplace to not do the tasks that won't directly lead you towards a promotion. It was telling you, if you're in a workplace, there's a selection of things that you can do, you pick the stuff that directly benefits you. That was one. The other one, um, I'm going to read a quote from this one. I picked this up just this morning. Um, It was talking about what's going on with the NHS. Um, Some 13,000 NHS patients in England are needlessly languishing on wards waiting for a care package to be put in place. This article was saying the problem is largely down to a lack of social care staff who earn within 30p an hour of the minimum wage. 
So the, the, one of the main um, reasons that was given in this article for what we're seeing in the NHS is a lack of social care staff. And it was saying that quite understandably people aren't going for these roles because they're paid so minimally. Now, whilst we can ask all sorts of questions about whether our culture should be one that assigns value by money, the fact is I think it says something about our understanding of service if our roles where we're serving people who need it most are paid so lowly. So that's a couple of instances just from bits and pieces of the news over the last couple of weeks that tells us something about how our culture understands the idea of service, of doing things that benefit others even if they don't necessarily benefit us. And so it's that kind of culture and big picture that I'm going to try and speak into with what I think is a hugely countercultural message from what we see from the person of Jesus. And the way I'm going to do this is via a book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Now, I meant to bring the book with me, so if anyone wanted to borrow it, you could. Um, I, I forgot it, so I'm sorry about that, but it's a good book. I'd encourage you to pick a coffee up for yourself. And basically, what Richard Foster does is he's got a whole chapter on the idea of service and the whole idea around service as a discipline and something that you can do regularly and repeatedly. And he basically does things in two categories. He talks about service in terms of self-righteous service and true service. So he talks about self-righteous service and true service. And, you know, at the risk of ruining the ending, I'm going to say true service is the one we should be aiming for rather than um, self-righteous service. And there are a number of things that Richard Foster went through in his chapter and he said true service is like this and it's not like that. And we'll go through those in a moment. And I was struck that as I was reading that, I was reading this thing and I was like, a lot of the things true service, Jesus does in this passage. So I'm going to try and give you my take on Richard Foster's understanding of service in relation to John 13. Um, I know you didn't think you needed it, but <laughs> there we go. Um, that's what we've got. So the first one, self-righteous service and true service. Hopefully it should come up on the screen. Beautiful. So you'll see, and basically as the talk goes on, it's just going to get added to. Um, you get a table as well, so how exciting. So self-righteous service, true service, and then the verse. So firstly, we're looking at John 13:3, And the point here is that, the first point is that self-righteous service comes through human effort while true service comes through relationship with God. And we see that through John 13, 3, which just reminds you, says this. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, when we're talking about self-righteous service, what we're talking about is somebody trying to do everything from the point of identifying the need to addressing the need, to seeing if the need's been met, to doing whatever comes after that, all in their own strength. It's just, it's a willpower thing. Just kind of crit, grit your teeth, try really hard, do what you can for as long as you can, and hopefully you'll, you'll manage to serve well in the end. That might work for a bit. Everyone's going to burn out doing that long term. No one, I don't care who you are, no one can will their way to the, the kind of service that Jesus asked for us long term. It's all made about us with self-righteous service. Foster says that self-righteous service, it expends immense amounts of energy calculating and scheming how to render the service. In other words, it excludes God and rests entirely on us. That's what we're being told not 
to do. Instead, true service is born out of our identity and our relationship with God. I've read this passage a lot during the course of my life, and I'd never, ever noticed before what it says in verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew who he was in relation to God. Jesus knew his identity, and he knew where he was. He knew where he'd come from, which was God. He knew where he was going, which was back to God. And he knew what he was to do in between, which had been given from God. It was God at every single step of the way. And it's out of that that he serves. That is a place from which we can serve in the way that Jesus asked us to long term. By knowing where we've come from, by knowing whose we are by knowing what we've been created to do. And how do we know that kind of stuff? Well, all these patterns and rhythms interlink. I think one of the key ways we know that is due through what Eve told us last week, getting stuck into the Word. That's the place where we find out who God is. It's the place where we find out where we've come from. It's the place where we find out where we're going. It's the place where we find out what we're called to. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity. And the interesting thing about that is, there isn't an option of getting my identity from what God says about me, getting my identity from what the world says about me, or just not having one. That middle thing doesn't exist. You're going to get it from somewhere. So the question is, are you going to believe what God says about you, or are you going to believe what the world says about you? Jesus serves from the place of knowing what it is that God says about him. I think we're to do the same. So the first one, self-righteous service comes through human effort, but we are to serve from knowing who we are in relation to God, knowing our identity and putting our trust in him. Second one, self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal. True service doesn't distinguish between small or large. I'm getting that from John 13, 4 and 5. So after it's had the kind of identity stuff of it saying that Jesus knew who he was and whose he was and all that kind of stuff, it says, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, for those of us who've been in the church for a while and are used to Bible stories and have maybe heard this story a few times before, we can sometimes slot it into the big deal category because we've heard about it a lot and it kind of looms large in our mind. It's like, well, you know, it's a big story, we know that. At the time, this was the furthest thing from a big deal you could possibly get. This was Jesus with 12 people in a room. That was it. It wasn't a big deal. I mean, it was for the people who were there, and it's had significance for, you know, centuries after it, but it wasn't, you know, people didn't know that this was going on. It took place in a small little upper room. Very few people would have known about it at the time of it happening. It wasn't big, flashy, or impressive. It was Jesus and his disciples. And more than that, the job of washing feet was normally the job of a servant. 
It was the, the host of a gathering who would determine that people's feet needed washing, but then it was the servant who actually did the washing. So Jesus is taking the role of a servant here. And, you know, we're, you know, looking around, the people I can see are blessed with shoes. Um, we walk around in them on, um, you know, the streets out there, broadly speaking, tarmacked. Um, so we're stepping in stuff is a bit of a concern but not too much of an issue for us. In the first century, people had sandals on at best. Their roads were nothing like what we've got. All sorts of stuff on the road. So, you know, people get grossed out washing feet today. Now, it was like 100 times worse back then. There is no glamour in this. If Jesus was impressed with the big deal, he wouldn't be doing this. Instead, he's not distinguishing between the small or the large. He's observing the people in front of them. He is demonstrating the kind of service that we, as his followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, are to demonstrate in your life as well. So that's the second one. Not impressed with the big deal. Doesn't distinguish between small or large. The third one. So self-righteous service requires rewards. True service doesn't require rewards. Now, I want to make really clearly from the start that one about true service not requiring rewards. It doesn't mean rewards won't come. You could truly serve and get a reward. That's fine. But getting the reward isn't the point of the service. Now, I felt... um, I should probably tell you what verse this is coming from. Verse 11. For he knew he was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So I felt convicted preparing this passage because I was thinking back to, you know, times in my life. And I think I've said here before that, you know, in what increasingly feels like a previous life, I was fairly involved um, with worship music in churches that I've been to previously. I loved it. I had a great time. I was, you know, drumming is probably the thing that, you know, in my life I've kind of had any kind of like, you know, just natural, what's the word, aptitude for. You know, I could just kind of do it. Um, I just kind of sat down at a drum kit and, and rhythms happened, um, which it doesn't always happen, but it's fortunate for me. But what I realised was, when I did it in churches that had quite a lot of people at them, um, I was able to get quite a lot of praise for doing it particularly well. So I could sit and I could drum and I'd play and I'd do what I thought was normal and people thought, oh, that was amazing. That was so good. How did you do that? And so I don't know. I just did. It just, it just happened. I just sat and the, the, the music happened and then I got off my chair and everyone liked it. And isn't that amazing? And it wasn't the aim to start with. But after a while, I was like, oh, I know that if I play in this way, I get all sorts of nice things said to me. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's the point, you know, I'd, I'd play and I'd be like, I know if I do this, everyone's hands will go up in the air. It's amazing. It's like a, a slot machine with, with drums. No, it's beautiful. <laughs> Which sounds funny, but it's totally self-righteous service. Because I was doing it with hindsight. I didn't realise it at the time, but I was doing it because I got a lot of praise for it. And if I didn't get the praise for it, I'd be like, oh man, I must have done something wrong. There was no category in my mind for serving well so people could worship God and it wouldn't actually be about me at all. That's self-righteous service. True service is the one that says, in the context of the drums, I'm going to play so well that no one notices. 
I'm going to play so well that I don't distract because I'm out of time and just not fit in the song, and, but I'm also not going to play so well that I can get people to look at me rather than God. I'm just going to play so well that no one notices and the focus is on Jesus. We want to serve so well that no one notices. If they do, and if you get rewards, great. But it's not why you do it. You do it because you want to glorify God. And you do it because he served you first. Self-righteous service requires rewards. True service might get them, but it doesn't require them. And then we look at Jesus in this passage. If you want to talk about not getting rewards, Jesus washed Judas's feet. You know, Judas, the one that betrayed him, and, you know, it's because of him that he died, even though he'd done nothing wrong. That's, that's not even in the realm of reward. That's the opposite of a reward. And yet he did it anyway. That's what true service looks like. And that's then a challenge for me because it's like, you know, if if Jesus served Judas and washed his feet and I'm going to do the equivalent of that today, and Judas betrayed him, I'm not good at serving someone who I find a bit irritating. And yet, Jesus served Judas. It's a challenge, but it's an important one. True service doesn't require rewards. Fourth one, we're sticking with the same verse of this one, John 13, 11. Self-righteous service picks and chooses. True service serves indiscriminately. Now, I need to nuance this a bit. Because I think quite often we can hear this story and we can think, so we just go from here, and whoever we see and whatever we do, in whatever circumstance, we just serve them all the time. And obviously there's a sense in which that's true. We want to serve the people who are around us. Absolutely. But it is worth noticing the context of this passage. It's Jesus and his disciples. And it's, you know, it's a closed room. It's the 12, well, 13 with Jesus in it. And so this is a disciples only gathering. And Jesus' instruction in verse 15 is to do this to one another. So he's looking at his 12 and he's saying, as I've served you, so you're to serve one another. And within that one another, it's indiscriminate. So we talked about Judas and how he served Judas, even though um, he was going to betray him. We see elsewhere in the Gospels that Jesus knew ahead of time that Peter was going to deny him. And yet he served Peter anyway. There's no reason to think Jesus wouldn't have known that at the point of doing this. And so what's the, what is the emphasis on disciples for in this context? I think it's because, so if you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus and you would call yourself a disciple, there should be something in the relationships between the disciples of Jesus the, the, the mutual serving of one another that other people look at and say, oh, I want that. It's almost missional in how we relate to one another. 
You know, we can just tell people about Jesus, and that's good. I think we should do it. But it doesn't work if the way we interact with one another is the same as everybody else. So the way that interacting as disciples and living out this service to one another has effects on the world outside us. Let me repeat. Also serve people who aren't disciples. But there's something in that. I'm I'm convinced of that. There's something in the way in which we relate to one another as disciples has ramifications beyond ourselves. Self-righteous service picks and chooses. True service serves indiscriminately. Final one. Self-righteous service based on feelings. True service based on ingrained patterns of living. Now you'll know I've broken out of John for this one. Uh, I've gone to Luke. You'll see why in a second. So um, if, you, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn to it. Or if you're scrolling, you know, search Luke. I'm going to read it. Um, should hopefully appear on the screen as well. Um, so Luke 22, 39 to 46. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So this passage happens just before Jesus is arrested and taken off to be crucified. Now this, the Easter story, that's the greatest act of service that there ever is, ever has been, ever will be. And it's in so doing that that Jesus wins for us salvation through his blood. But I want to notice, firstly, how Jesus was feeling at the point of praying what he's praying. Take this cup away. Being in anguish. His sweat was like drops of blood. It's an emotionally charged moment. And he's not emotionally charged with excitement for what he's about to go and do. If anything, it's the opposite. Sometimes I hear people say, isn't it great that Jesus wanted to die for you? I'm not convinced. He was sweating blood. He was in anguish. He was saying, if there's another way, let's do that. And yet, not, not his will, not my will, but yours, God. How can he do that? There are loads of answers to this question. I think one part of the many answers to that question is found in two simple words at the start of this passage in Luke. Jesus went out as usual. As usual. We're talking about rhythms, we're talking about patterns, we're talking about 
habits. Jesus went out as usual. Now, Foster says that true service comes from ingrained patterns of living. I think that if you explore the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll see that he goes to the synagogue as was his custom. That's a pattern. You'll see that he regularly engages with the world and then withdraws to go pray up a mountain. He was a a Jewish man. They had patterns of engaging with scripture that he will have been steeped in. I think it's at least in part the healthy and deeply ingrained patterns and routines and rhythms that enabled Jesus to say, not my will, but yours. He didn't wait till he got to the moment and then thought, right, come on, God, now's the time. He'd already been formed into the kind of person that could say that through the years of rhythms, patterns, routines that had gone on beforehand. We don't talk about patterns and routines because it's just a good thing to tick off. We talk about them because they're what form you. So, I hope you're convinced by that. I'm sorry if you're not, I don't have anything else. (laughs) But the question still remains then, doesn't it? Well, okay, so then that's all fine. But I think sometimes people think about service. Well, you can't, how do you make a routine of service? I can understand how you make a routine of prayer. You do it at the same time every day. I can understand how you make a routine of Bible or how do you make a routine of service? I think the good news is that it's, it's easier than we think. We can habituate it and turn it into a rhythm. Let me give you some examples. I grew up in a home where my dad, every day, without fail, took my mum a cup of tea in the morning. It's an act of service. He did it. And on a weekend, when she'd have a lie-in, and he wouldn't, because he's a morning person, she'd wake up with a row of, like, five cups of tea. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, she hasn't had that one, so I'll just do this one, and I'll just keep going until she gets a cup of tea. That's a daily pattern, and it's one that... I now do that for my wife. I can't not. And at no point did my dad sit me down and say, you know, do you know what, son? Now you're married. Let me tell you what you need to do. I just picked it up because I was around him and he did it so often. He didn't tell me once, but because he's someone who serves, I just learned. It's a daily, you know, in some ways a silly example, but it's an example of daily service. What about weekly? I um, was stood outside my house the other day just getting some shopping in, and there was a guy who I'd not seen before, just outside, like, we got, you know, there's like a wall house and then it's like a little car park just over the wall. And I looked over and he had um, a litter picker in one hand, a bin bag in the other. And I was like, oh, right, that's interesting. And I went over and went, excuse me, mate, are you, are you doing a litter pick? And he went, yeah, yeah. And I went, oh, that's amazing. And we kind of chatted and then, you know, I was like, oh, I'm Richard. He was like, oh, I'm Richard. And it was a beautiful moment. And then <laughs> after we'd done that, um, it became clear that he'd moved, um, he'd moved recently to the area. Um, and apparently he, he's a pudsy wombler. <laughs> Um, which is, I love it. Um, and what each week they litter pick an area. And I've been looking at that bit of car park 
buying my house since we moved, which is like seven, eight months ago. I was like, I should probably sort that. He turns up less than a week in and it's done. I've no idea if he's a Christian, but it's an act of service. That's blessing his community. It's not, you know, it's not hard. But he's doing it. Monthly, so um, myself and my wife Jasmine, we've made a New Year's resolution together this year. We're going to host once a month. We're going to have some people around. We're going to serve them by making a meal. I'm probably not going to cook. And then... Um, <laughs> It's better for everyone. Um, and we're going to serve by hosting, make some food, have people around, try and get to know some people. We try to do every week, last Christmas, we're both really introverted. We got a few, like two months in and we were done, like for the year. We did like eight weeks straight and then not again. Um, so that's worth bearing in mind, all these patterns and stuff, you know, you've been made as you and you've got different, you know, leanings and inclinations. And all, you can pay attention to those. But, you know, my introversion doesn't excuse me from hosting. We still serve in that way. So all of that is to say there's all sorts of ways in all areas of life in which you can serve. And we serve as Jesus has called us to serve, bearing all the things in mind about true service versus self-righteous service. You can also serve here at church. Think about it this way. If you go to a person's house every week for a year for a meal it might be that for the first couple of weeks you go and you enjoy it and it's like oh cool this is nice aren't they they've been kind it's lovely we're having a great time I would hope at some point during that year you might get to the point of thinking oh maybe I should offer to take something I could take the drinks or a dessert or it might even be that a bit further on it could be, well we'll go to yours but can I cook it at yours so you don't have to to cook it's a similar thing here. The Bible describes the church as a body with different functions and roles and responsibilities that blesses, ultimately glorifies God. It's always God first, but then within that, serves one another in different ways. And I think that there's ways we can serve here. There's a few particular ways here that we can be serving. At the moment, there are three things that this 1830 service would benefit from more help with. Now, if you're new here, if this is your first time, you can listen to this. There's absolutely no obligation or expectation that you're getting stuck in with one of these on week one. If you really want to, that's great, but it's not. It's, you're just welcome to, to visit and see what's going on here this evening. But if you're a regular here, and you're not serving, let me encourage you to think about if you could serve in one of these ways. So firstly, stewarding. The stewards help keep the building and worship space safe and welcoming. You get trained for that role. You don't just have to turn up and guess it. You get told what to do. It involves coming 45 minutes before, and you're working with the stewarding team leader to keep the building safe and so that the stuff in here can happen. If eight people signed up, you'd be on the rotor once every other month. That's the thing. The more people do it, the less you do it. If that makes sense. Hospitality, serving in the 6pm cafe team. Offers a warm welcome to people, watching out for new people. If there's someone you don't recognise, maybe giving them a, you know, an extra special hello. Again, you arrive 45 minutes early, set up with the team and tidy up just before the service starts so you don't miss any of the service. 
If 12 people signed up, you'd be on once every six weeks. Tech, operating the camera for the live stream, helps people access the service online, you get trained for that. Which is a very good thing. It involves getting there a bit early to set up and then monitoring what's being shown on the live stream. If we got two or three more people on that, you'd be on once every couple of months. Are there ways in which, of course, in all of life, how can you be serving? It's a constant, perpetual question. As followers of Jesus, how can I be better serving my family, my friends, my work colleagues, my, my, my housemates, the world around me? But also, how can you be serving here? If you are already, thank you so much. But if you're not, how can you be serving here? Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.